Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Hope you all are coping with COVID-19. I imagine that many of you are home, but if you are considered essential and are in your offices today, I hope you're doing everything you can to stay safe. Speaking of, our most recent episode was a special edition around the coronavirus and how marketers are reacting. So I encourage you to check that out either right now or after this episode is over. But if this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome to this community. This is a show about how some of the most innovative and interesting brands out there today are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic. And today we're on with a thought leader who speaks with companies doing this all the time. You all know that when we have interviews with folks in the direct-to-consumer space, these are businesses which are inherently driven by consumer reviews and referrals to grow themselves. Today, I'm on with Google, specifically Jody Goldberg, who is the head of industry over direct-to-consumer at the tech giant. So what she does is talk to me a lot about the trends going on in DTC, as well as what she's looking forward to in areas of strategic opportunity for these digital upstarts that have disrupted basically every category since around 2013 or 2014. She also mentions a number of brands who are excelling in their respective spaces, and luckily, I have episodes to back those brands up. So be sure to hear the shout-outs as she goes through those examples in the interview itself. She's also just really sharp generally on what DTC is all about, and I especially enjoyed her advice when it comes to career moves, especially when it comes to breaking up the structure of how to search for a next job, specifically the idea of looking for the next job after the next job was particularly interesting to me. But I'll sit back and let her share all of this with you herself. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with From Google. Jody Goldberg. All right, everybody, a very special interview today. I'm on with Google and specifically with Jody Goldberg, who is head of industry over DTC Ecom. Jody, thanks so much for joining the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. I can't wait to learn all about your specific expertise because I talk to DTCs now and again on this podcast. And of course, all of those come with a single brand perspective. But especially under such a huge org as Google, you seem to have vast experience and expertise with a lot of these folks. So I'm hoping to dive into a conversation which allows me to ask a bunch of things about trends and what folks are doing. But to give a broad overview, because it's a lofty title, what does head of industry exactly mean in the context of what you're doing for Google? Uh, Yeah, I think it sounds fancier than it actually is, but I manage a team that works with e-commerce, marketplaces, and direct-to-consumer brands where we work with them on their growth strategies. We work mostly everywhere from the day-to-day up to the C-level on how they should think about their marketing initiatives and how Google can support them. Great. So, of course, then, all day talking with folks like this, and I guess to get to this point, how, how did you come to this point at Google? Why did you join and, and what about this industry gets you, gets you really excited or got you excited to take this journey on? Yeah, so let's see. Um, you know, my, my career, I've done a lot in, I started off in marketing analytics and um, in publishing and then I moved over to working at a retailer for a brief amount of time and then I was sort of on the digital side since I guess like 2003, so it's, or 2004. So it's been um, a lot of partnerships and sales and business development and marketing. 
And um, I would say if I take your your question uh, a few different ways, I would say um, that while I'm, I consider myself a very structured person in general, but as I've thought about my career and development, I've really made a conscious effort to try not to be so structured in my approach to my career. I think it's been helpful to have a general plan, but also really, really great to, to leave myself open to kind of what comes up and comes my way. And so um, I, I do I do a lot of coaching and work with a lot of people um, at Google and, and beyond. And what I kind of say is that I, I think less about what's the next job I want and more about what's the job after the job I next want. Um, so you're thinking a little bit more um, holistically moving forward. And um, that's kind of how I you know, think about it. What I really love about Google is besides it being this incredibly supportive, amazing, innovative environment um, that we get to work on cool things is, is this flexibility to move around. And so I've definitely worked at companies where if you come in through marketing, you're never going to really go too far beyond marketing. And that's not true at Google. You have this opportunity to really move cross-functional or cross-org. And uh, one of the really fun things I've been able to do is work with our Capital G uh, group on learning, um, thinking how they're thinking about investing in other e-commerce or other companies. And so I've been able to get outside of, I guess, what I know best, which is sales and partnerships and, and do other things. And that's something I really, really appreciate and, and don't take lightly because I know it doesn't exist everywhere. And that flexibility, I'm sure, also sits perfectly in line with that concept of uh, breaking up structure, as you had mentioned just a second ago. Before I go into DTC, I want to ask just briefly about that and, again, more more of your personal journey to this point, because I want to know when the first time in your career, maybe the first time that you can remember, uh, you actively thought about breaking that structure. Because as many of us move through our careers, I think a lot of people are, especially in marketing, that they are, okay, I'm going to start out as a manager here and I'll eventually move up and move up and move up. Um, and it is linear in one after the other. When do you think did you start to consider the sort of beyond in that way and, and break out of that linear story? Probably not as early as I wish I would have, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but I think I think several years ago, I was at this point where I was thinking like, I have to figure out what I'm doing next. And it was so much effort and energy putting into what do I do next? And it was just exhausting. And I had a, I had a friend and a mentor say to me, just like, let that go, right? And and you don't have to force it so much or think so much about it and see what comes to you. And he had told me, this person had told me this funny story, that he had actually looked for like the least um, like the least fun jobs. And he, he sort of made this like career of looking for the jobs that someone wanted the least because he found that it gave this opportunity to move into different directions and maybe move up, you know, in, in faster. And so it was just sort of a, a, a different way to look at it. And I decided you know, actually my strengths are not doing the things that everyone does. My strengths are really being scrappy and creative and thinking differently. And so I decided that that's really what I should lean into um, versus kind of trying to push in one direction. I would say that if I look back and the advice I would tell my younger self is to take more risk and to leave roles sooner. So I think that, um, I personally tend to get really excited and, and really enjoy what I'm doing and like to dive deep and understand and become an expert in something. And I think that has led me to staying in a role for a good amount of time, which is great. And I've appreciated kind of the expertise that come along with it. But I also would probably tell myself that you should 
generally leave roles when you really like them versus when you're truly ready to leave them. If you wait until then, I think you've waited too long. So that's what I would tell myself is to take more risk and leave roles sooner, get different varied experience more. Wow. Okay. That is really interesting. Um, That is also a, a funny way to think about it to strive for, maybe jump for the jobs that folks want least, or at least to think about it. Um, as you look to, I guess, yeah, break out of that, break out of that structure. And speaking on that note, breaking out of structure, getting scrappy, getting creative. Well, that certainly has uh, sprung out a whole arm of every industry over the last roughly six or seven years, and that being direct to consumer. So I want to jump into a couple questions related to that, because this is, of course, a, a way of doing business that has disrupted pretty much every major industry out there that I can think of or that come easily to mind. And now going forward, of course, these companies and these uh, th- this industry will have to continue to evolve. You are likely to see that more than anybody else. And so the first thing I want to ask is, what about where DTC is now and its future makes you excited? I love that direct-to-consumer companies, what they've generally all done in common is reduce friction in existing experiences to make life easier or more robust, more interesting. And I love, you know, there's a ton of them that save me time. I'm a big user of uh, Prime Now Grocery Delivery, where they offer new choices and designs. So I I really love my um, Dagny Dover neoprene bag. I think they make it. They're really fashionable. They're cool. They're modern. They're chic. And it's cool material. Um, or if they're improving upon experiences. So if you think of the experience of going into a mattress store to buying a mattress to what you could do now, which is order one, one online, to me, that's infinitely a better experience. Um, so I love that they're improving upon that. And I think that they're finding so many different places where there is friction in life and, and, and making it better. So that's what I'm most excited about, just like the general overall improvement. Um, and there's so many examples of how that's happening. Great. Um, we'd love to hear a few of them. So I think the the mattress industry is really interesting, right? I think um, no one liked going in and, I don't know, dealing with that process was really stressful to me. And the idea that I can find something online with this um, guarantee that I could send it back within three months or 100 days, whatever it is, that's, I think, a really, really great experience. Um, so that has been one of the biggest, I think, game changing for me in my life. I do think that the, what I was mentioning on the food delivery, that's amazing. I mean, that is just really, really helpful as a busy working mom. Um, I just don't particularly enjoy the going to the supermarket. And so making that easier has been amazing. I think, um, things, I think there's just so many different examples of how, um, you know, things are simplified. I think, Let's see. I, I'm a big user of Fabletics. I think that's a really great service. I love how they've made workout and athleisure affordable and easy. Um, and they do a really great job of A, offering choice, but also distilling it down into a couple suggestions and really curating it for you. So I think that's a really interesting intersection of like choice, but but also curation. Um, so that's been, that's also, I think, Something that I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm half clothed, and I, don't, I think 
it's all almost all Fabletics. So that's I don't know. That's been working well with me, especially now I'm working from home. It's a very interesting uh, the way that it's changed uh, everything that people consume. And, and listeners, if you're interested in hearing more deep dives on these industries, you can listen to interviews right here on this show with the founders of Helix Sleep or the CMO of Roan, which is in the athleisure, or the CMO of Freshly. Check back in our history for that. Now, Jody, I want to ask a little bit about uh, with all these great things going on in DTC, is there anything on the horizon that gives you pause or areas that are of greatest strategic opportunity to folks generally playing in DTC? Because I imagine at a certain point, that way of doing business will reach a saturation point and branding will come, become very important. Uh, there may be mix of performance marketing versus other types of marketing that may uh, reach a, a critical decision point. Do you see anything like that which gives you pause about what folks need to be concentrated on most to continue to succeed as well as they have in the last six years? I do. I think that we've entered a stage where there's a new D2C brand popping up every day, it seems, right? Like there's a D2C for everything at this point. And I do think it will be challenging for them all to sustain long term. I think that focusing on profitable growth versus growth at all costs and having a strong content and community strategy to build the relationship one-to-one with the customer will become really, really tantamount in importance. And I also think a lot about having a strong ability to expand to adjacent products as it is very um, important to building a sustainable relationship. A lot of these D2Cs, which fall under what I call a product-oriented D2C, they come out with just one product, right? If So if you think of um, like a pair of shoes or um, a type of sweatshirt or something like that, a lot of them are one product. And I think the ability of them, their ability to expand to adjacent products, I think a lot about. And I think that that's um, a really interesting trend. So like one thing to me that gets me excited is if I think about skincare, if I think about makeups and you also have skincare and there's so many different things for types of makeup for people's uh, based on their complexion, their tone, their style, their preferences. And so to me, like something like that affords a nice adjacency to expand your product set. Um, But I do think that thinking really um, deeply about how someone sustains that growth and um, how they build that relationship are really important. So that, and those are great strategic opportunities. I want to jump on the first point you made, which is that a new type of company like this keeps popping up once a day or probably, frankly, more than once a day. Now, they're all in competitive spaces and they're all competing for the same type of consumer. Now, that consumer may be drawn to consume with one brand. Maybe they genuinely like the brand. They like the mission. They like the story. They like the purpose. Or maybe they like a price point. Maybe they like something related to uh, free shipping. Or maybe they like convenience in a way that some other doesn't provide. And I'm curious in that line of thinking, if there is, and if it exists, what is it? A discernible line that gets drawn between genuine brand loyalty, like you're going to buy from these guys no matter what, despite whoever pops up, or just a temporary brand interest in purchasing whoever has the best offer for you at any given time? Yeah, I think that there is, um, so there's a couple things. So this is what I'd say, that there is, going back to what I was just saying, there's a trend for there being more choice than ever before. What I think is really interesting is that as the number of options have increased, the number of brands being considered by consumers has not 
So the stakes are really, really high, right? Going exactly to your point of having to differentiate and break through. And we've seen, I've seen research that while shoppers are on average aware of 10 retailers at a given time, they can only really typically consider three brands. And that is something that holds steady across categories, which is not something I initially thought would be the case. I thought it might vary more category to category, but it seems like three brands can really be in in consideration. And the vast, vast majority of the spend that consumers have is just really divided up between those three. Um, and so that's that's become a really important thing of kind of figuring that out. And I think it's to your point of what is a flash in the pan of being of liking a brand or thinking it's neat and then versus true brand loyalty. Um, one thing that I think that people could do a really great job of brand of building the brand loyalty and building that experience, that connection. One thing I'm leaning into as I talk to um, my customers and my partners is thinking through how to leverage one's app plus the mobile web. Uh, what we found is that for retailers, retail apps are the second most important consumer touch point for driving differentiation for retail brands. And it's second only to word of mouth by family and friends. So, I mean, that's like a really hard thing to cross over into number one. Sure. And we found that consumers are about two and a half times more likely to trust the brand and almost three times to believe that it truly is differentiated from the competition when they engage with the retailer across both the MWeb and the app versus not touching either or only one. Um, so I think that's a really interesting piece. And then I also think kind of a, another point I would make is, and, and I think this also kind of connects back to your question, is this move from marketing to branding. I think it's it's exactly what you said, that markets are saturated, CPAs are really expensive. And so it's harder and harder to just say, I'm going to outbid my competition. And I think it's really about getting creative, testing all new formats that you see and really leaning into being that first mover and getting that advantage versus I've worked with a lot of companies over the years that were outside the DD space, D2C space, and they were more about the last mover advantage and tried and true. And I don't think this is the moment for that. Um, so if I would just say a couple things that Google's doing where we have had a lot of success with our discovery ads as a new way to help people discover and engage with brands as they scroll through their favorite content um, and discovery allows brands around the globe to reach up to 2.6 billion people as they look for inspiration across their, their favorite Google feeds, which is YouTube, Gmail, and Discover. Um, so that's been a, a great, I think, way to lean in and, and develop that brand conversation. And of course, YouTube's a great one as well, right? I mean, YouTube is a great way to, to lean into sight, sound, and motion to share your value proposition and, and really get that message across and build a relationship. Got it. Now, can you explain for the folks who may not have heard exactly what Google Discover is, what that is? Sure. So the discovery ads that I was just talking about, it's a display heavy ad format where we essentially let you take your social assets and expand it across the Google properties. So if you think about um, beautiful images that are talking, that are showing your product or looking at a landscape, something that zeroes in, it's um, that's that's our new Discover ad product. Gotcha. Okay, great. And I'll put a little more information for that for listeners in the show notes uh, directly from Google's site. So I'm curious uh, then, and I, I was going to talk about some of the newest ways in which uh, DTCs are taking advantage of these new types of media, but especially as you had mentioned word of mouth being the number one even over a retail app. When you think about some of the newest ways in which folks are engaging is there any overlap with uh, media and word of mouth that is uh, helping to drive growth or brand affinity? And perhaps what I mean is this. 
are there ways that consumer messages are being displayed through some of these new media types like Discover Ads? Yeah, I mean, I think with Discover Ads, since it is a, it's just an image, it's about setting the intention or giving someone the feel, right? Are you, are you going after a beautiful um, product image shot? Are you going after a lifestyle image? I think you can get a lot across that way, um, but it is an image, and so I think that that combined with um, if you think about your media mix, right, that combined with the sight, sound, and motion that YouTube allows uh, lets you really set um, and tell a story in a different way. So I think they're kind of all these different pieces are together and they kind of ladder up to one overall story that you're telling about your brand. Got it. And engaging different senses using different methods. Got it. Okay, good. So with all of these things available to folks and all of the ways that you are seeing DTCs involved in trends that you're seeing, rather than just ask what are the trends, because that's too broad, how about this? What are some of your favorite DTCs in the space now improving in in these ways? I mean, who's doing this really, really well when it comes to taking full advantage of getting the story out there? And, and maybe it's in leveraging consumer stories, but just generally speaking and maybe standing out, as you mentioned. I think that... Um and, and I would go beyond just D2C. So I'm going to think really holistically because I think there's a lot of really great things that some of the traditional retailers are doing as well that, quite frankly, the D2Cs can learn from. And I think now it's it, there's really this focus on building one-to-one relationships with consumers. And it's about thinking holistically when you're telling your story. So to me, there really isn't a line anymore between someone's online versus someone's offline. Um, and for a brand to be successful, they have to, I think everyone needs to think omni-channel in general. So selling through another retailer or owning your own physical store could be new to some brands and very useful for building the one-to-one relationship while developing a direct line online presence may be new for others. But I think it's testing that out. Um, one thing that we're doing on online is that we have a new chat within a display ad that we are testing out. And I think that that's a really interesting thing that some advertisers and brands are leaning into for a more considered purchase where they're able to. So if you're thinking of like a display ad and in it, you can actually chat with your consumer. So if you how you might use a um, call center or a sales support, you can now do that within a display ad. So I think that's a really interesting way to find a a direct way to kind of mold advertising with a one-to-one connection. Um, I also think specific to apps in the retail space, brands are viewing the app increasingly as a way for consumers to have their storefront at their fingertips. So apps are being used both as a way to help enhance the in-store experience. I think about uh, modernizing the more traditional marketers like Walmart and Target are doing really interesting things there, but it's also a tool to drive and win customer loyalty. So with your app, you may offer free shipping or easy returns, more personalization or the ability to quote unquote, like try on a product before buying by using VR. And with customers demanding brands keep up with their needs, I think the app has really resurfaced as a way to drive more innovative shopping experiences and brands are leaning into that. One example I'd give is that at Target, when you check out, the the employee checking you out asks if you have the Target app and then essentially pitches you right on the spot um, on why you should download it right now and how having the app can earn you points by simply spending through that. Hmm. Interesting. So they're able, and then of course, I'm sure it's a vast benefit to Target. They get that number two. I mean, they get that best performing digital asset in the hands of their people who are shopping there every day. So um, interest, interesting thoughts all uh, all through here. And, and I guess, well, 
I was going to say, what, what can DTC learn from its from its legacy contemporaries? And I suppose you've you've just answered that. Anything else uh, glaring that uh, those more traditional businesses do that DTC should really look out for and, and start to adopt? I think the traditional retailers have been forced to think about how they connect their um I mean, they are omni-channel. And so they're having to rethink in a different way and they have their own set of challenges. But I do think how they lead with an omni-channel experience is really interesting. How do they best use storefronts? I think when you look at Bonobos, like they were one of the first to model uh, that you don't need such a big store. Do you need to hold the inventory? Does someone need to go home with what they purchased today? Are they okay with it if they get it within a couple of days and they have a really great experience? So I think more and more leaning into that and thinking through like, what is that experience that you want to provide? What content can you create? What experiences can you create? And thinking through all the different channels of the touch points. I think that's really interesting. Um, so I think there's a lot to learn from each other. And I think, I think both sides, I think on the traditional retail side, there's a lot of innovation. I think on the D 2 C side, there's a lot of innovation and the more that they kind of connect and learn from each other, they will continue to, um, see more opportunities to do things differently. Yeah. Those, those, those trends and, and competitive advantages will likely converge at some point and we'll all look forward to seeing exactly how that plays out. I want to talk briefly uh, about about purpose here generally, and, and the reason being that, of course, folks have strong emotional attachment to brands when there is a genuine, strong purpose, and it's also the way in which a lot of brands can be telling stories of real people because they are generally people who are being helped. How much of, in your perspective, how much of the purpose-driven marketing is about the purpose itself, irrespective of the business benefit? as compared to purpose-driven marketing, which has a very clear bottom line impact uh, at the same time. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to get at here? I think that leaning into purpose is, um, it's a great, it could be, it's a great thing. And it has resonated and been very successful in many, in many instances. And I think it's for each, um, each brand to kind of figure out line for themselves and where does it make, make sense. I would point to, um, I think, I think, um, I think Bombas has done a great job with this. So the founders of Bombas were inspired to start a sock company when they read that socks were some of the most requested items at homeless shelters. And from the beginning, their their um, their ethos was to donate a pair of socks for every pair sold. And that kind of mission based marketing it expects that customers want to do good while also buying from a company from a company. And they didn't just create a product that is loved by consumers. They created a mission that everyone could get behind and help uh, meet a need in local communities. So I think that's one example of how they really melded together their business with a mission and created a community of people who bought into it in a very successful way. Um, So I really, I think that's, I think that's a great example. And where that line, like where that line is drawn, I think it's hard for me to say, but I think that they have done a great job of um, balancing the two. Got it. And folks, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, I will not only include more information about uh, Bombus's purpose in the show notes, but I will also direct you back to an episode we did last fall with a co-founder and chief brand officer of Bombus, Randy Goldberg. Make sure to check that out in our archives as well. Jody, I want to ask you one more question here, and it's around advice, because you see these direct-to-consumer companies all the time. You live and breathe it. And so you're well aware of the spectrum of how these companies are performing, what 
how the trends are impacting them and how they're improving over time. But in the context of this show, what we talk about a lot is how brands are working to become more authentic and and authentic by any definition of the word. Typically here we mean using consumers as a megaphone, but however you choose to define it. I'm wondering what some of your top tips might be, as I'm sure you advise a lot, to some of these folks on how to become more authentic in messaging, given your vast industry expertise. I'm hoping you can give us a little insight into that. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that establishing unique and relatable brand voice where messaging should be customer-centric and not company-centric or product-centric is really, really important. I think the idea of focusing on the consumer's needs, wants, aspirations, and not on what you do as a company, um, that's, I think that that's great advice for anyone to take. And I think to me, it's about telling stories because telling stories is how we as humans understand information best. And the brands that I've seen do this well are the ones that align their messaging with their core values. And then they share it through these relatable stories. I saw in a recent survey that 75% of consumers value trust over trendiness. So I think it goes back to, um, it's so important to be authentic and to build that relationship. I would say a couple examples um, of someone who I think who's done this well is Dollar Shave Club. They have their Mel magazine, which is, I think it's an online lifestyle and culture magazine that offers advice, uh, just general life advice. And they bundle that for all of their customers or members. So when they get their, their razors as part of their subscription, they're also getting this magazine. And so it has this built-in readership uh, with additional organic traffic that visits the digital magazine. And I think when um, they created this, they wanted to create it as a, an example of a deeper connection with the customer base. And it aligns with the mission to help men take care of their, their minds and their bodies. So they can They can be their best selves. Um, And so I think this is an example of um, connecting what they believe to telling stories in a way that connects with their consumers. And it's, it's a charge that doesn't, it doesn't have this like immediate monetary contribution back to the Dollar Shave Club, but it's like a philosophical contribution to the well-being of men that I think that their, their consumers have really recognized. Um, I also think Purple has done a really great job with telling stories and they've taken Purple Mattress. They have taken the ability to own this quirky, funny, silly genre or personality and then mold it with actually explaining their story and why their mattresses are different than other memory foam. And they did this from the start. They leaned really heavily into online video from the very beginning, which was very unique and when everyone else was kind of going to SEM they were leading into uh, video and then they've been able to evolve that messaging as they kind of you know quote unquote grew up so it didn't just resonate with the core audience but now they're in this I don't know adolescent period where they're finding a way to to keep that quirkiness and tell their stories but in a way that it resonates with the wider audience so I think those are two really great examples and purple of course is doing this vastly through their videos, which are amazing and and entertaining. Um, But I think those are two examples of brands that have um, really done a great job of being authentic with their messaging and telling brand stories. Well, I'm thankful that you, you have the perspective enough to be able to give two direct examples of that. And uh, listeners, I'll give you a little bit more resource here just one more time. Well, we don't have those folks on the show yet, but in the very near future, you will be able to hear both from the CMOs of, of Dollar Shave Club and of Purple. So you will get a bunch more information in the weeks to come. 
Uh, for now, this has been a fantastic crash course in what DTC is all about, what they're doing, opportunities, and a bunch of examples therein. Uh, Jody, I can't thank you enough for joining, for sharing the expertise of, of yourself, of Google, and everything that's going on. Um, what else can I say? Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much to Jody Goldberg from Google for joining us today. It was fantastic to learn more about DTC broadly, and I'm looking forward to the same things you are. If you enjoyed this show, I want you to do a couple of things. Normally, I say at this point, head to LinkedIn. But the first thing I'll note is that many of the organizations that Jody talked about on the show are reflected in broader features that have been recorded on Authentic Influence in the last few months. So I'll leave a few of those in the show notes, and I encourage you to check those out. Listen to a few of these episodes. This may be a show that, if you're a first-timer, you might like to stay subscribed to. And if you do, be sure to do that wherever you listen to podcasts, but also, and here's the old bit, follow us on LinkedIn. I've got a page there, Authentic Influence Podcast. It's where every new show goes. It's where clips from the show go. It's also where other information may go with regard to live events or the like. And I've mentioned on this show previously that we would have live events. That is very much still the plan, of course, due to current circumstances. That first event, which was planned for Boston in just a couple of weeks, has been postponed, but we will be coming back to it as soon as we possibly can. And I'll leave some information there when it becomes relevant. But generally, it's our hub for the show. So please join us and get involved. I'll be back again real soon with another fantastic story about how a brand or a group of brands is becoming more authentic through mobilizing its masses and using its customers as its own best marketer. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.